If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies, if you love the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting the Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop and say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend in Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street and let them know Curtis and Brian sent you. Buddy, we are back after a week off. How are you feeling tonight, man? I'm feeling great, man, but I am feeling we have so much to unload tonight. <laughs> just, the, just the last, what, 48 50 50 hours man it's been holy crap. it's been a frenzy it's been a frenzy it's been- uh, we we were we were putting this together this episode we started putting this together into last week and we were like we got enough to get this episode but it might not be a long one then then everything happened as well okay we got a we, we got we got an extra you know 20 30 minutes we can we can pad on here and talk about so let's hope it's an extra 20 to 30 and not an extra like hour because that could be potentially what happens tonight i mean hey. it's, uh but hey, it, sometimes, it's all sometimes that's how it goes, man. Hey, and it's all good time, and that's one of the big things about it. This is, you know, a lot of good stuff in this episode. A lot of good, good stuff. And you know, where we decided to kick it off tonight was the stuff that happened on Sunday, and that is all the commitments that came down after a big OV weekend up in Blacksburg, and where the Hokies got three commitments to the class of 2023, and with that subsequent commitment, Brian. You know, we, we looked and hovering about 40. Like, we still said 35, but we knew there were some guys we could potentially land. And I told you, I looked after the three guys committed. We were at 34 overall, 33 composite. And with those three commitments, which we're going to discuss here in a minute, we're up to 30 overall with the 247 and 33 composite. So a massive jump um, for the Hokies in the rankings. And Something that you you said a year ago, thirty to thirty five next year is where I want us to be. Slightly above of where we finished last class off, and it seems like we're right on that track for you. Yeah, I mean, it looks like that's where we're trending right now. Um, 
you know, a, a, a big close, maybe another one or two to kind of close it out would be nice for sure. It would um, be. But, you know, we're, we're almost at a full boat at this point. Yes, we are. Um, you know, I think we're probably keeping one spot open to see what happens with a certain uh, Richmonder? Li- Richmonder linebacker that will rename, re- remain nameless for the time being. Um, <laughs> he doesn't need to rename nameless. I mean, <laughs> you know. So, but other other than him and maybe maybe one other, you know, that's out there that we either we've been following lightly or, or, or heavily the last six to eight months. Um, you know, this is kind of, kind of what we're working with here. Um, but I mean, three big ones, um, over the weekend, um, you know, we, we heard about some of the, we, we, we had a bunch back on bunch of commits that were back on campus this weekend. Yes, they we were. had a, a good handful that we were hoping to kind of either flip or close on this weekend, and we, we had a pretty good percentage with that. Pretty good percentage for this class and the portal, which we're going to just do the portal by itself because it's its own beast right now. But let's start, Brian, with the sort of lead dog that started the trend on Sunday night. And, you know, it's the borderline four-star wide receiver, um, Aiden Green out of Powell, Tennessee, in Powell High School, you know, six foot and a half, 170 pounds, held offers from Cincinnati, um, you know, Arkansas, a lot of different places for this kid. And, you know, it, it was one of those they felt like if they could get on campus once he decommitted from Cincinnati. Yep. I think they knew they could get him. And next thing you know, Voila, it happens, you know, he's in the top 550 for the country, uh, top 80 receiver. So you're getting what's viewed as a good player. Um, did you have a chance to look at any highlight reels? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a guy that could potentially come in and be a potential immediate impact player. Um, okay. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be kind of in that three- or four-man rotation, but I think he could definitely – uh, be somebody that you're going to see out there in year one, um, kind of doing some things for us. Um, really good athlete. Um, I like his hands, um, moves, moves in and out of his breaks. Well, so I, I think he's going to be a big addition for this team, whether he has a median impact in, in 23 or whether we're, we're waiting for, for 24 before we really see what he can really do. That's going to be the big question, but uh, very solid pickup. Yeah, big question about a lot of these guys, and I think this is something we'll start finding out in the next few weeks, is who's coming in early. Um, obviously, yeah. anytime you come in early, you know that immediately, uh, you know, helps them out. And, you know, with, with Green being wide out, it is a position of need. We know that. So if he's able to come in, pick up the playbook quick, potentially there. With him, a little underweight, um, you know, I'm hoping he's one of the guys that chooses to enroll early just to get quickly into a weight program that maybe by the end of next summer, he's put on 10 to 15 of good weight. Um, Especially at a need position. Um, If we're talking about guys that we want to get in early, any wide receiver, offensive lineman, or DN that we can get in early, Yep, all the better. Yep. And just an FYI, primary recruiter, man making some hay lately, Fontel Mines. Um you know, does work he's, on He's that. starting to put up walls around the 804, man. He he's is. starting to put and, up walls. 
Well, let's talk about the guy who, who he essentially pulled out of the 804, and that was Jeremiah Coney over at Hermitage. I mean, a you know a mid three star guy, um, but you know six foot and a half, hundred ninety four pounds. Now that weight at running back that makes him a little bit potentially more ready out of the gate. Um, we'll see what you think with the film. You know, was initially committed to Appalachian State, and it's one of those. There's there are just certain G five schools in certain positions. If they recruit, you feel like it's something. For App State and how their run game has been really the last decade plus, if you flip a running back from them, you feel like you've done something because you know they have a reputation. What's the tape saying so far um, on uh, on him? Uh, this is a guy that you know could push for some playing time early, just because you know we do kind of have a void in kind of a bigger body. Uh, running back now, you know, we, we got, we got Thomas coming back. He's going to be the all purpose. Hopefully he can stay healthy. King's very good change of pace back. We're looking for that kind of big body running back that has some good vision between the tackles. Do we end up addressing that in the portal or are we going to kind of put that on a, uh, a true freshman that's coming in for us in Jeremiah Coney? Um, Cause he's kind of in that big body area. I think, you know, we'll see if he can kind of get closer to, um, that 200 range, if, if he comes in uh, early and on campus and has an off season with us, um, but th- there's some potential there as well. So um, I like his game. Like I said, you know, big body, good vision, um, you know, breaks tackles well. So I, th- I think he's got some uh, some potential to be there. But I mean, another solid pickup. Uh, Fontel Mines doing his thing in the 804, which we love to see. Absolutely. Now, do you see uh, someone like him? Do you think definitely running back? You no, know, he played some linebacker in high school, but is he definitely a running back in your eyes? Yeah, I think he's definitely a running back. Okay. Um, just just his skill set, everything overall, he's definitely a running back. I think he's got potential where he could play on the other side, but I I wouldn't unless it just doesn't work at running back. Then then I wouldn't I wouldn't entertain that. Yep, and to that point, I'm looking here, scrolling up and down. Stu Holt was his secondary, so that even more kind of solidifies likely going to be in the running back and stay in the running back room um, once he gets to Blacksburg. All right, so the last one was, I think, the most surprising. I think with when we heard Green's going to get on campus and Coney was taking that trip after they both decommitted, that was one of those, okay, if we get them there – we likely are going to flip. The other one came out of nowhere because it was such a late addition that he was making the visit. And and that is the quarterback out of Springfield Central and Springfield Mass, William Pop Watson III. Um, you know, a composite, a composite three-star, 247 has him as a three-star quarterback. Um, and originally committed to Nebraska. And... Um, I know I can't remember who made a comment about it. Something about Mark Whipple. Mark Whipple. Yep. If Mark Whipple likes him as a quarterback, you have some other stuff there. And just overall, I mean, had an interest from programs like Tennessee, Oregon, Michigan, Kentucky. Um, and you don't know the level of interest, but the reality goes they were interested in him. He lands at Nebraska. Nebraska, even the last three or four years, 
losing a bunch of one-score games, was still pulling top 15, you know, talent-wise. And even though he's coming from Massachusetts, it's not a big football state. We know, we all know that. Yeah. Um, you know, but occasionally you can find, you know, diamonds in the rough from Massachusetts. And, you know, we Hokies know that very well. But what are you thinking of him, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I like this kid a lot. Um, like, looking at his game, I mean, he's a true dual threat. He's not just a running quarterback. Um, he's not just a passer. He's a guy that can kind of do it all. Really good footwork. Um, really good polished mechanics as a quarterback for a high school player. Um Consistent oh, okay. whether he's throwing on the run or whether he's standing in the pocket. So, I mean, that's good to see. Um, not great arm strength, but he can make all the throws. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be somebody that could potentially push for a starting role in in a, in a couple seasons. All right now, when you say polished passer, is, does that just mean it's refined? When you don't see it, if someone's under his foot, it's still the same mechanism. Is that what yeah, you I mean, mean by polish? Whether he's throwing on the run, whether he's um, standing in the pocket, whether he's getting pressured, that those mechanics stay stay pretty pretty close to the same, which means that he's going to be delivering a good ball every time. So right. I mean, th- there are occasions where he'll miss, but it's consistent. And when you can do something like that consistently, you can kind of work on that the other parts of the, the, that contribute to accuracy as you're kind of building on that. I got you. Got you. All right. So with that, that takes the class up to um, 23 total, likely only 22 that will be on full football scholarship. Um, you know, Jimmy Mullen, the wrestler, I, I know there's some stuff out there that, you know, it's one way or the other. Sometimes they have to be counted to football if they're playing football. But either way, I think you're right. I think we're just a handful of guys away um, from finishing off this class. I don't know if it'll come potentially next Wednesday or if it's going to be something after the Wednesday date um, of getting the additional players. And obviously the the big one is sitting down in Verona right now. Um, And that would really be an absolute cherry on top of this second class. And also the way this class is held together after not the best on-field results. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, we talked about since the season has ended between the the in-home visits and the stuff that's happened the last couple weeks on campus, um, they've really done a good job of kind of keeping everybody together, keeping everyone on the same page, um, and kind of keeping everybody in the boat and committed and, and ready to roll into the season. Um, particularly guys that were getting some some decent push to uh, to do other things, uh, thinking more of Lance Williams and Dante Lovett here, yeah, um, who, who did get some some other legitimate Power Five offers, um, kind of down the stretch there. Yep. So it'll be interesting. We'll be uh, obviously watching that next Wednesday, seeing what all happens. But now let's go to sort of the bigger story now this time of year, right? Because it's now that college football has changed and the portal officially opened. It's the name uh, of the episode, man. Portal it is, season. It is. It, the, the portal opened roughly eight days ago after the college football playoff was announced. 
Um, and, you know, we had DJ Harvey go in before our last episode. And since then, uh, you know, Matthias Carroll, Lakeem Rudolph, Desmond Muhammadi, Armani Chapman, Enzo Anthony, Keyshawn Artis, Jason Brown, Eli Adams, and then maybe the one that surprised us all was Caleb Smith. Other than Caleb Smith, Brian, anybody else a shocker to you on that list or made you go, hmm? No, I mean, the the, the ones that stand out are probably Carroll, just because he did get some run kind of to start the season, but he had gotten, I think, kind of pushed a little further down the depth chart than he would have liked as the season went along. I think Rudolph, with how the linebacking core, some of the younger guys in the linebacking core have come along, um, you know, it's just only only so many mouths to feed, right? It's true. It's only so many mouths to feed. It's only it's only so much of what you can do. And and the whole approach this year, it looked like from Brent Pry, because he mentioned a few weeks ago, thirty to thirty five guys he had to have conversations with. That's a lot of people on the team. Even if you get up to the one twenty, that's roughly a quarter of your roster. And you know, it's which way can the conversations go? And then who chooses to go on the portal? I know I don't think we're done seeing guys enter the portal yet. I have a feeling a few guys are probably going to enter sometime between now and the first of the year. Three to five, they're probably waiting for that uh, that spring money to kick in, and then they'll figure that out. But as, as much as it was, we're starting to see that. We know we're losing a lot of guys anyway just because of the COVID year is going to be gone. Um, it did not take long for – this coaching staff to jump right on it and get in there. And, and the first one is maybe somebody here that should have been here a long time ago. And currently, you know, I'm looking at on three. If, if you guys haven't checked out on three is really dipping hard into the transfer portal. Like they are essentially creating rankings stars and the Hokies quickly route the gate. A guy that should have been here a long time ago. Like I said, the number four ranked portal entry, Ollie Jennings, Everybody should know that name very well. Played at Highland Springs, went to West Virginia, and he played at ODU two seasons. In the and you know this season, nine games, you know over nine hundred and fifty yards, fifty four receptions, nine touchdowns, almost eighteen a reception. Um, and and it wasn't just him sitting here, like oh he just beat up on the little schools. He just beat up on the schools that don't have all the talent. I mean. It was every school. I mean, we saw what he did to us late in that game. He beat Dorian Strong on one of those underthrown balls. He put 200 up against ECU. He almost put 100 against UVA. He put 129 on Liberty. The kid balled. And I think later in the year against Georgia State and Marshall, he did have his two lesser games, but he hadn't played since November. So I had to go look and see if maybe he got a little bang up. But what a what a land for the first guy in the portal to commit this season, Brian. An immediate automatic starter at wide receiver. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a position upgrade uh right out the gate. Uh and that's that's whether uh you know the situation with Kayla Smith ends up with him coming back uh to the Hokies next year next year or not. Um, you know, we, we talked about it when we previewed ODU. Uh Ali Jennings is a legitimate NFL caliber wide receiver. Um he's got that type of skill set. Um, getting a guy like that at Virginia Tech 
uh, is huge. It's huge. It, it, it's definitely one of those. It's a culture builder. It's it gets your eyes on your program. Uh, it, it says, hey, this can be a destination for this caliber of player. Yep. And, and it's and it's great to see. And again, we continue to talk about the 804 and Highland Springs and Hermitage and Verona and schools like that. I, I do have to say, I wonder how much of the relationship building that's been happening in that area came back and helped land this one. I mean, I know the Fontel Mines connection was big, right? He Fontel recruited him down to ODU, but how big was maybe Lauren Johnson? How big was that coaching staff where Brent Prime, that entire staff is getting the trust from Highland Springs now and, uh, you know, phone calls were made and potentially Ali, I would have seen, assume he still speaks to his coaches in high school. Like most guys do and ask them if it's the rest direction. We're starting to see the fruits of that labor come through. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's definitely um, kind of build like I said building that foundation um, that that Coach Prize tried to talk about. Like this is this is a culture building type move, um, and and hopefully you know this isn't the end of uh, end of the run. We're gonna see some more big time names get uh, get get put and attached to the Hokies going forward, man. Absolutely, and and it didn't take long last night to that to happen to go ahead and get number two from the portal in Chiron Drones, a six foot two, hundred ninety five pound. He is a coming in, and he'll be a redshirt sophomore next year. So three years of eligibility left. Out of Baylor, we finally landed the four star quarterback out of Texas. <laughs> four star quarterback out of Texas. Wow. Yeah. And so th- this is uh, this is big for the Hokies because, you know, we talked about quarterback being other than wide out being the position we had to target um, right. in the portal, for, especially from a skill position standpoint. Um, at least someone to push Grant Wells, if not an upgraded position. I've looked at this guy's tape. I think he's an upgrade from Grant Wells in, in every aspect. Um, he's got a live arm. He's got more athleticism. He is strong as an ox. Um, About the squat tape, we see he's strong as an yeah, ox. Yeah, I, I mean, he's putting up 585 with, I wouldn't say ease, but he, he's putting up 585 easier than most people do. Um, and, and a lot of people that have, you know, 60 to 80 pounds on him um, would put it up. So really, really strong player. Um, saw some extended action against West Virginia did, did really well other than kind of a late pick when he kind of got in trouble in the backfield. Um, but did really well overall against that defense, um, had some other games where he saw some action this year. So, uh, overall, again, I think it's a, a significant upgrade, um, from, from Grant Wells in terms of ceiling. Uh, if we're talking about floor, I think the floor is a little higher than what, what Wells is, is, but, The, so high, higher floor and and the ceiling is you know much much higher in terms of what he can do just because he's got more athleticism and he's stronger and he's still got the arm to go with that. Do you are you also going with a higher floor because of I would say the less baggage and I'm not trying to like completely knock Grant but we knew Grant had a propensity for turning the ball over. This kid he's he he played in five games he's taken. 
20, he's basically through 23 balls, you know, is, is, does that adjust your floor as well? Because with Grant, we talked about when he transferred, if he can clean up the interceptions, it would sign, and he keeps the higher production with the passing, it can be okay. Is that one reason you put that floor a little bit higher because of essentially the lack of maybe scar tissue? I'll say it's not just that. I'll say it's a couple things, and I'll give a shout out to Chris Coleman on this one when we talk about a shifting in philosophy. Oh, wait a minute. oh man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> Chris calls the storm earlier, um, earlier today already. But I, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and continue with the with your yeah, with so you back in Chris's play. When we talk about the shifting in philosophy, what I think we're not going to see next year is as much of a reliance or over-reliance on the run game and play action. I think we're, we're not changing schemes, but we're changing philosophy of how that scheme is being executed in a game plan week to week. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to see some more run to pass to set up the run. You're going to see um, the ball getting out of the hands of the quarterback a little bit quicker. You're going to see more, running with the quarterback, whether that's option, read option, things like that. You're, you're going to see a little bit more of a mix and match um, of the philosophies and less just power run, play action, or dump down to the tight ends. There's, there's not going to be kind of that. I mean, and, and that, that was, you know, that was what we kind of rolled into the season with. We were like, okay, we're going to run the ball. We're going to work the short pass game to the tight ends to try to move the sticks, and we're going to take deep shots down the field to try to get some quick strikes through the air. And it was, it was very, it was, it was literally hit or miss. Um, if, if we hit a big gain in the run game, if we were able to hit some of those big game, big gains in the passing game, we looked all right when those weren't there and they started keying in on the tight ends and we, and we couldn't run between the tackles. It looked as ugly as an offense as it could. Uh, what you're getting with drones is an ability to open that up some more, both with his athleticism and with his arm. So it's a lot of what you're saying is with this shift, especially with the running, probably more RPO quick passes, essentially you're forcing an additional either linebacker safety to commit to the inside versus with yep. Grant, even though we're, there were times when they let him run, he did pick up some yards. This is truly that dual threat that a lot of people clamor for. At True Tech. dual threat. I, and I, again, you said RPO, and that's what it's going to be. We're going to we're going to be putting linebackers and um, those kind of spill area players in a lot more conflict this year with with a player like Drones. All right. Well, for everybody, um, spring's going to be fun. Yeah, we got a big big draw to the spring game now. Big draw uh, because, because was we got two it, 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 at minimum two big pieces that are getting added to that offense. Absolutely. I want to flip next, Brian, and we kind of already hit this while going through the portal, but kind of the farewell to certain Hokies, and you know we already talked about you know Jason Brown. Um, we talked about Armani Chapman, but you know Jalen Holston heading out. You know, Drake Doodle is heading out. Jaden Blue, um, and it looks like Caleb Smith, he's in the portal. Does he come back? Does he go elsewhere? Obviously, Silas Danzi and Johnny on the defensive side of the ball. Garbutt and Griffin, Dax, Chamari Connor, um, Breon Murray, and DJ Harvey. 
you know, when we look at this, you, that's some production gone right there. You can yeah. say what you will. You, you look up and down there, guys who are starting. Most of that production is Smith and then big the big uh, veterans on defense. The big the vets on defense, um, along with steady play from Silas and Johnny. But as we look at this and, you know, you say farewell to them, I don't think with this list, maybe with the exception, maybe with the exception of Garbutt, there's not like a glaring, glaring. I think we all now we see Chris Marv and we see, uh, you know, Chris Marv coach the linebackers. That unit got better this year. The safety units got better. We saw the young guys play. Um, we the more the- young guys played, the better the units got. Ooh, man. Okay. Um, Hey, you you go at your piece, man. I mean, are we watching the same tape? I mean, it's true. The, 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 the more they got acclimated and I'm not just saying that the veterans didn't get the job done. A lot of them did. They played well. Um, but the, the more that we got the up and coming players involved in the, in the defense, the more consistent that defense looked, both I'd say the linebackers and the the safety and cornerbacks in particular. Um, I think defensive line, it was more of a mixed bag, right? Um, Just somebody's telling you that, that Bryant Cobbs is agreeing that this is an accurate statement, Brian. Just so you know, somebody out there is in agreement with you. Well, well, let's look on the offensive side of the ball, and let's look especially at the line. And it seemed like every time Braylon Moore, he had his errors, but there were times when it came to running game, he was just monstering people. And we saw Xavier Chaplin in that last game. And Xavier Chaplin played one game. So you're talking about get him acclimated. And I think I I mentioned something to you from day is Brent Pry decided to build this from the inside out, not the outside in. And I don't and I really think that's why we're seeing what we saw last year because he's essentially creating the culture inside, right? Yeah. If he creates the culture inside and you build everybody here versus bringing a bunch of people in. Well, I think it's, I think it's twofold. So I think when we look at it, we, we knew there were holes last year. We, we fill the holes that had to absolutely had to be filled with what we could fill it with uh, yeah. and what the philosophy was at the time. Um, but what I like that I'm seeing from this staff is, you know, you said building from the inside, but also the ability to evaluate, pivot, and put a plan in place and then execute that plan. So we're already seeing it now with, you know, with getting drones in, with getting Jennings in, we've identified the areas of need. We've identified the missteps in philosophy relative to the talent that we have on the roster right now and where we can uh, address that talent and we're adjusting and putting a plan in place to execute. Yeah. Uh, and, and so far we're executing that plan pretty well in terms of the guys that we needed to close out for the 23 class and who we needed to prioritize in the transfer portal. All right. Well, I'm going to ask this and this is going to go back to the portal piece while we talk about obviously you're losing two good offensive linemen we saw chapman Moore play uh you got clements again finally going up versus down finally at the end of the season he wasn't awful at the end of the season he was just mid 
<laughs> Which, I mean, if he'd have been mid all year... Shit! <laughs> okay. We would have been a little better. But let me ask this, because what we haven't seen and we don't hear much buzz from, or I haven't, is we're not hearing a lot of buzz with the offensive line. The big thing to me is that targeting in the portal with the, with the lineman is a little bit more difficult than some of the other position groups because it's a lot harder to get a good eval of guys that aren't starters on other teams right now. So you're either looking at taking a chance on a guy that is going to be stepping up a level, whether it's FCS or G5, or you're taking an even bigger risk on a guy at the power five level. That's only been a rotational or, you know, full-time second stringer uh, for a P five program. So I'm thinking there might be something where he's taking a little bit longer to eval and we're going to see offers later. Now I hope we don't end up missing out on cream of the crop guys because of that. But I, I get, a conservative approach in terms of evaluation because part of the problem that we ran into this year is we had guys that didn't fit what we really needed to do uh, from a philosophy standpoint. And it took a longer time for that to gel, for them to get comfortable with the system and things like that. All right. All right. So we'll, we'll see how that goes over. What do we have about, I'm trying to do the math here about 37 days until the portal officially closes, which is, again, I think, I know this is, that's one thing you're happy about. It's got an opening date and a closing date. You can't just be committing in the middle of the year. These are the times. All right, a couple other notes um, concerning football, or one other note. I'm glad Mansoor Delane got named to a freshman All-American team. That kid deserved it, the 247 freshman All-American team. Um, you know, obviously not a consensus or anything with multiple lines, but at least one did recognize his talent. So kudos to him. Um, again, makes you feel better about that secondary room as we get into 2023. Um, another thing to note on, cause we're going to talk hoops here in just a second. What a win. I don't know if you got to see this, Brian, but what a win for the Hokies on the mat. The Hokie wrestling team takes out number seven Missouri at home on Sunday, seventeen fifteen. This was the second time in as many years they've upset Missouri. Missouri is a top program in the country, Um, especially after coming off that the heartbreaker to Ohio State. This this team's good. That's all you can say. They're good, and hopefully, some you know. Hopefully national championships come out of it this year. Yeah, I mean, I think this is another, I mean, top to bottom, it might be a better squad than last year. Um, I think it's a deeper squad. Uh, we'll see if if it's as top heavy. Uh, I think I think it can be. Um, and, you know, you, you pushed Ohio State to the limit. You got a big win at Mizzou. So I think that, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction here. It's going to be interesting because, you know, over the next few weeks, you know, they've got they got Stanford, the Cornell and um, in January is going to be pretty big. Cornell, another good wrestling program. Um, and then obviously we look at early, mid-January with NC State, you know, essentially the slowly but surely becoming the 
wrestling rival at Virginia Tech and in the ACC. All right, well, let's talk some hoops next, Brian. Let's flip it over, and let's talk about the men's team first. We looked at this stretch of games that they had to go through starting at Minnesota, which we got to talk about, and we said, go 500, great, go 3-1, and one, hoorah. But to go 4-0, and oh, you know, beating Minnesota handedly, beating UNC, beating the breaks off of Dayton, and then a game me and you got to watch together in the second half on Sunday – Beat Noki State. I mean, let's start with the UNC. What a win in general against the Tar Heels. You know, you take a look at that game. The Hokies really dominated until about the four-minute mark in the second half, and North Carolina made their run to get back in it. But, you know, Justin Mutz in the second half, 21 points. Grant gets a double-double, you know, what else did you see from that game that really impressed you um, on that Sunday? And unfortunately, they keep giving us Sunday games, which is, you know, thank God we have man caves where we can yeah. watch multiple games at once. But I mean, you, you were over when the when, when we were wrapping up uh, the game against Okie State. So I know your your setup's great, dude. It was <laughs> we, we, we're watching the NFL games and we're we're, we're we're keeping an eye on the Hokies game. So it was it's you know you got to have at least three TVs, guys. It's it's just a rule. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at the UNC, I mean, I know they, they were short of Armando Baycott, so, um, you know, they were one down, but I think we did a good job of taking advantage of that and, um, you know, Mutz beating them up in the boards. Um, that was huge. Uh, and just overall keeping them in check and not really letting the moment get too big um, when they started that run. They said, yeah. okay, the, the runs here, whether it, and, and we've seen that a lot from this team this year, they, they've, they've given up some leads, but they've generally weathered the storm and then been able to kind of close things out. And as they did here, they weathered that lead. Um, you know, Hunter Couture lights it up from three. We, we keep talking about that 47. We were 37 against Carolina couple more percentage points lower, and maybe it's a different outcome or maybe it's a lot tighter. Um, but, you know, I think what's happening is we, we know we need a second ball handler because that's normally like that's normally when it starts happening, right? Getting a little sloppy with the ball, maybe a turnover, maybe forcing a bad shot because of not moving the ball correctly. Turnover and a little bit of some transition – uh, and and perimeter defense, which I mean, is also kind of going back into. All right, is our is our primary ball handler and our secondary ball handler getting gassed as as we get later in these games? Um, yeah, that, I mean that's the answer. Yes. Um, so Rodney Rice, when he's ready to go, that's going to be a big one. Let's that's going to be a big one. Soon, Ho- let's ho- hope. Ho- hopefully by by the new year. Hopefully by the time we're uh, we're lacing them up in the new year. Absolutely. So 80-72 victory there. The Dayton game. I did not watch a minute of this game. I didn't even listen to it on the radio. I was out of town for business. Come back to eat. Come back out to eat. And I'm like, well, let me get on my phone. Let me see what the score is. And I was like, there was a sports bar down the street. I'm like, they probably have it. By the time I got in, we were up 18. Let's just say, needless to say, I didn't go back out to watch 18-point blowout. Because... <laughs> I mean, they just had, 
and I don't think we expected this. We expected Dayton to be at least a formidable opponent, and they just took it to them. Well, they were predicted to finish what one or two in the A10. Yeah, always a good so, basketball I mean, conference. And th- they're not going to fi- they're not going to finish there. No. Um, Although I, A10 as a whole is down this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, do with that what you will. But but still, it's important. To, I mean, you still got to take care of your business, right? I mean, th- that's still a solid, solidly talented Dayton team. They're not garbage. No. Yeah, but we, we made them look that way. Made them we look ma- that way. You almost beat a team by 30 um, from the A10. It says a lot, especially if it's a Dayton and VCU, those type teams from the A10. And again, I didn't even have to go back out. I just sat there and I can't remember what game was on TV. I watched that and just kind of updated and it grew bigger and it grew bigger. And it was like, Lord have mercy. We're going to beat them by 40, which almost has almost. All right. right, Let's talk about the game. We got to catch the second half together on Sunday. um, The Oklahoma state versus the Oklahoma state Cowboys. I watched the first half. We're getting ready to come over to your house. Nine point lead. This is good. I get to your house, <laughs> and that lead is all but gone and in Okie State's favor. And and I was like, Brian, what's happened? You know, what the heck happened in these first few minutes that I missed? And you were kind of hanging out there. And I mean, in the first in the first half, we were you know they had a lot of turnovers. We, we we were able to take advantage of some of them, probably not as much as we should have. That lead in the first half could have been probably bigger than it was. Um, and then in the second half, you know, you come out, you miss a couple bad shots, you have a couple bad turnovers, and they're hitting right. They're they're, they're clicking on the offensive end at least early in that um, that second half. They hit a uh, about two or three threes in back to back possessions. Um, you know, we weren't putting points on the board. We were having some em- a lot a whole lot of empty possessions, and and that kind of that, that that cuts into a nine point lead real quick. Yeah, it does. Well, when we look up, I remember when me and you were sitting there talking, it was like a they essentially had went on a 21-8 to run to open the second half and completely flipped it, took the lead on themselves. But give this team a lot of credit. Give a lot of, the di- a lot of different players on this team credit as well because they really showed a lot of heart, a lot of – I'm gonna, an old term we don't use anymore, but a lot of grit, um, you know – you had Kid give solid minutes off the bench, even though he didn't score much. Same with Michael Collins. Poteet, eight points, six boards. Played some good position defense down low. Um, yep. He made their uh, – I cannot think of the guy's name. Their big guy, uh, Boone maybe. He made him work. He had to work for his points in the second half, especially later. And then all of a sudden, about three minutes – tie ball game, basically the Hokies just go on lock, essentially outscore them 12 to seven in the final three plus minutes. And in this game, in reality, you look around, you know, Mutz had a solid game. Basile had a, Grant had a solid game. Padula had a solid game. This wasn't like UNC where it Mutz, it was Mutz. And a few games ago, it was Padula. And earlier in the season, it was Grant. This was essentially that game where it was, it was all parts. 
and it had to be all parts just because of what happened with that run early in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you had a couple guys in foul trouble. Um, you know, Mutz had to go out for a good portion of the second half. Um, so that's why you had guys like Kidd step up, uh, Poteet step up. Um, obviously, Grant had a good game. Um, we, you know, we saw Padula hit a couple big shots there uh, when we were down to kind of get us back even, then get us get us the lead. Um, so I mean, it was it was a all hands on deck effort to close that one out, and we've had a couple of those this yeah. year so far that I think have prepared us for that type of atmosphere when we get into ACC play. Absolutely, I think some of these games they 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 rack our nerves. They they maybe make us go a little senile, a little bit crazy. But reality is, you just said it, Brian. There's going to be games under five minutes in the ACC, and it's a one or two point game or a tie game, and the teams went through it already. Yep, they know how to lean on things. So we've seen it. We've seen it. Penn State. Now it took care of Okie State. Yep, and finally, 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 Brian. After going ten and one, they finally get ranked this week, number twenty-four. Yeah, I still about feel time. that's low. About time. Yeah, they should have been twenty-four last week. Last week, and probably twenty this week. But it is yeah. what it is. Um, next game up is Grambling State, which is next Saturday, and I think BC is next Wednesday. That Grambling State's going to be a a, a, tri- a sneaky good good matchup. That's one we can't sleepwalk through. No. It, that can't become a Charleston Southern. No. That can't become a Charleston Southern. You need to go ahead and put what you got out there and close the door early and finish the game. All right. Want to talk just real quick with the ladies hoopsters. I mean, obviously, they dominated BC, you know, start to finish. They dominate UNC Asheville and win by 38. But it was the game preceding those two and the win over at Tennessee – um, and I know Tennessee this year is not what they were last year. They were a top ten team last year. I think they're seven and four out of the gate this year. But either way, that seven and four is deceptive. I mean, look, look who they lost to and, and what the score was and how they lost. It's true. It, it's not. I mean, I know. I know they've fallen um, in terms of being you know a ranked team, but they're they're much better than their record indicates right now. So you, can, you can't better. just you can't just look at at the, at the the point outcome and say, all right, yeah, well, that, that's you, you skirted by an unranked. Team. Yeah, it's, this is a little different. <laughs> a little yeah. different than that. <laughs> it's, it's, to me, that's why I'm saying they're not a top ten. They're a top twenty five team without a yeah. doubt, but they're not a top ten what they were. I think last year, but just to get the win on the road there, that was a absolute nail biter at the end. It could have been an easy win, but, you know, that is what it is. The big one, though, to me, the game this Sunday, the game this Sunday determines if we're just a good team, you know, Sweet 16, Elite 8, or if this team has a Final Four run in it because Notre Dame's women's team is essentially one of the elite women's teams in the country. I think they have one loss this year. They're number six or number five in the country. I mean, and, and there's your test. You go out there and win that game. That is a signature win for Kenny Brooks. It's a signature win for the program. But that also puts people on notice that this team can win a national championship this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we're on. They're on the cusp. Um, yeah, it's close. They're, they're, you know, they may not be 
a favor to do it, but they're certainly putting themselves in the dark horse category. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Um, one more thing before we uh, hit the break here. And, um, you know, if everybody in the college football world um, hadn't been paying attention, um, you know, Mike Leach passed away today. Um, and, you know, if you ever watched interviews with the guy, I mean, it wasn't going to be about football all the time. It was going to be about some random things and make you chuckle, make you laugh. Um, you know, they were showing different interviews. I, I forgot 60 minutes interviewed him like 12 years ago. Yep. I, I, you always kind of wonder how that Scott Pelly felt when he like, go interview Mike Leach. Oh, it's a football coach. This will be easy. <laughs> what? But, um, you know, I don't think there's a topic that you could bring up that he couldn't say something about uh, that was either thought provoking or mind fucking <laughs> or just hilarious or, or just, just hilarious. The whole thing about the, the marriage thing, if you've ever seen, if you've seen the marriage when he had up at Wazoo, right? Yeah. That one we talked about, Oh my God, that's just, it's just hilarious, hilarious. And obviously, you know, as much as he was a personality, he was himself. The guy was also a supreme intellect. The guy got his JD from Pepperdine. The guy was smart. And if we talk about it, we've talked about we're, we're in a day and age where air raid is as common as wishbone was to our high school youth. Yeah. And he was the guy that did it. How mummy was the guy who brought it to the mainstream. Mike Leach made it work in the mainstream. What he did at Texas tech and what he did everywhere. Cause everywhere he went, the programs got better with that offensive system, man. Yeah. Uh, and took the non-traditional roads. Uh, some would say because he had to, and some would say because he wanted to, and probably both are a little bit true. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, he was a character and, you know, and we were talking with our, our, our buddy, Robbie Compton today, our coach buddy. And Robbie actually got the opportunity a long time ago when he was coaching at our high school, called up, they were trying to implement some air raid concepts into what they did. Called up Texas Tech, said, "Hey, we want to come see you guys." And him and David Techie, um, who's the guy, he's the head. He's Rob, that's Robbie's head coach down in Wilkesboro. They got a chance to go out there for a week and spend time with Leach and his staff at Texas Tech to understand those concepts. And this was probably one of the cooler things that happened. Um, Rob, Brian, you know, you saw Robbie talk to us because he was like, what story? There was more than one Mike Lee story Robbie had. So he got to meet him, and this was Lincoln Riley was on staff. Ruffin McNeil was on staff. So he got to – Robbie and Dave got to know those guys, and then they coached at ECU right in their backyard when they were down in Greenville, North Carolina coaching. And the one he told us about was really cool is they were at an AFCA clinic. And for those who don't know, AFCA is the uh, American Football Coaches Association. They have big clinics every year. I think it's in February, so it's right after the season wraps. So if you're a lot of high school coaches get to go to these. A lot of them take the time to go because you're in seminars, yeah. everything. I don't know me. if it was always in Orlando, but this one was in Orlando, correct? The, the, I think this one was in Orlando. Yep, it was in Orlando. I'm looking at the message Robbie sent us here. And so – they go there and they run across Coach Leach and he called him over. 
So first of all, these are two guys from a small high school in southern rural Virginia, one of the most well-known collegiate football coaches, waves you over at this conference. And from there, he took them. This is like a who's who's list. He went and introduced them to Gary Patterson. Then he introduced them to Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. Then he introduced them to Mac Brown. They got to hang out with Ruffin and Lincoln a little bit, who were on the staff at that time, even more at the AFCA conference. But here was the funny part, and this is where it's like Mike Leach. So as he's introducing our buddy Robbie and Coach Wateki, he told all the coaches, these guys are from South Boston, the one in Virginia, not the one up north where they whack people. And I think that's a perfect summation of who Mike Leach was. Well, number one, the fact that he he recalled that information um, from you know previous interactions with again, you know, two high school coaches that he came across you know one time before that. Exactly, um, that's impressive. Um, the, uh, the 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 interjection of the, of the humor there is 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 impressive. Um, yeah, this this is probably right around the time when uh, you know some pro- yeah movies like Mystic River probably just came Departed. out. The, the Departed probably, probably just out. came out. Yeah, so. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's one of those things where you get the story like that, and it's if people ever if if people ever were to question and say, well, I now looked at Mike Leach's stuff. That doesn't seem real. Like, nope. We have someone that met him that can confirm what you saw was what you got. Rest in peace, Coach Leach. Um, you will be missed for your humor, um, for you know just your creativity, man. And it's it's a great coach going way too soon, Brian. Yep, you, you changed the game and you did it with a smile on your face, and he put a smile on everybody else's. So rest in peace. Yes, sir. All right, before we get into some more topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian. So we definitely have some other things we want to talk about, just college football related. And obviously, since we last talked, a boatload, a boatload of coaching hires have taken place. And we're going to focus just on a handful. Um, but I want to mention the other ones um, that have gotten hired. Um, I think one that definitely surprised me, I don't know if it surprised you, was Troy Taylor out of Sacramento State. The FCS program gets the call to go over to Stanford. Um, did not see that coming um, at all, at all, at all. But <laughs> did you? Nah. Was Troy Taylor on your list for Stanford? Troy Taylor was out on my short list for anywhere, let alone Stanford. All right. So he goes there. And, and that's no disrespect to him. I mean, I think it's still uh-huh. – they, well, it's, they, it's, a, it's an interesting hire. I don't think it's a, a bad hire. It's an interesting hire. Well, they did this previously. They did this previously is they did this with Harbaugh because Harbaugh was at San Diego, which was an FCS program 
in the state of California. The difference is everyone who knew who the hell Jim Harbaugh was, nobody yeah. knows who the hell Troy Taylor is. So it's like we're going the same route, but this time we have no notoriety. It's just a good football coach. And from you know the looks of Sacramento State, he is a good football coach. So there's that one. Now, a couple of the other ones. Let's roll these out. USF takes Alice Golish, the Tennessee OC. We'll be very interested to see um, if that affects the Tennessee offense any since Heupel does have his hands so involved. Um, I also find it interesting UCF goes down the route of coordinator with really good offense again. The Jeff Scott hire from Clemson absolutely was trash. And I don't think he's a trash coach. I just don't think some guys are cut out to be head coaches. Was FAU shocking to you with Tom Herman, or is it just one of those he's reintroducing himself? Uh, I thought it was. I thought he could have done better, but I think it's a, it's a good if he wants to get back into more of a blue blood program uh, quicker. This is probably the better route than taking a risk on a mid-level P5, and if you fail, you're pretty much setting yourself back a, a good ways. Coordinator forever when that happens. Coordinator yeah. forever when that happens. Um, Kevin Wilson leaves. will be leaving Ohio State to head down to Tulsa. He has been an, an offensive coordinator there for a while. Um, he also had been a head coach at Indiana. Sounds like second swipe at uh, – second swipe at, uh, you know, a head coaching job. Obviously, I was watching Tulsa closely. They didn't, they didn't do what I think they do, but you know it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real. How about that this close. one? How about this one for you? How about this one for you? UAB hires Trent Dilfer, who's been coaching high school. Uh, is UAB trying to find the white Dion? Wait, nah, because if they were trying to do that, they would try to hire, like, Peyton or somebody. Not, you know, Trent. Not Trent Dilfer. Not, Trent Dilfer. <laughs> Not the guy that literally, what is it? Trent Dilfer is a game manager, though. He was a game manager. I mean, He's always had some good insights on the boards. Um, next few here, we want to talk about just hit before we hit kind of the ones that are really affecting, the, or I see more affecting the Hokies. Um, Lance Taylor, the running back coach for Notre Dame takes Western Michigan. Um, you know, he's, he's the run game coordinator there. So not even an OC yet. I mean, I guess some guys it's just, and I don't know where Lance Taylor's from. So maybe he's from that area and it's just one of those, I'm going to take the chance. Yeah. You know, it, it's a head coaching job. Uh, here's a name and I'm very shocked by this. Barry Odom went to UNLV. He is recently at Arkansas. I know they had a six and six season, but kind of shocking to see him go that direction to a program like UNLV, which is, you know, the, the old guy was there, had a couple okay seasons, but it's not like one of those, it's not like a San Diego State or yeah. like a program like that out in the West where you feel like, you know, they can, they can get up pretty quick and be good. And that's not to say UNLV can't and hasn't. Um, it's just it's not as ready-made of, of a situation uh, for a guy like Barry Odom. Um, you know, we'll see if that 
ends up working out. Um, it's definitely a different path than he took last time. So, you know, you kind of see, see how true. that works out for him. True. True. All right. And with that, let's go to the ones that I think are could one that could have been impactful and the others that will be impactful. The one that could have been impactful if he had taken um, any potentially any job that was open, the Louisville, the Georgia Techs, et cetera, et cetera. Any East Coast, ACC, or adjacent school. Deion Sanders goes to Colorado. Um, and, and everybody can talk about all, all the stuff he said. That's, that is what it is. I think a lot of those things take place like that when coaches get places. I just think he's got publicizing it. But him in Colorado, I mean, you discussed this, Brian. And it's if he goes and wins at Colorado, if he just wins four games next year and he gets up to eight games in year two to year three, what's going to happen? He's going to get blue blood offers quickly. Yeah. Um, this is essentially, I think, a three-year plan for him um, at Colorado. Um, I think he just has to make a bowl year two and three. Um, if if he gets if he gets that that team as awful as it was this past season to a bowl in year two and year three, especially if you're at a seven or eight win team in year three, yeah, I mean they're gonna come calling. Yep, and, and to me, I think this is why he took that job too. I don't think Dion needs money. I think Dion between endorsements and playing two sports for basically close to 10 years as the pay scales were starting to go up in those sports. I don't think he needs the money, but I think what he saw is if I was a bit an analyst, make it, which I mean, the money in that game has risen significantly. So, you know, he's been making good money there too. Well, between NFL network and barstool. I mean, you know, he's making good money doing that stuff before he jumped over to Jackson state. But I think it's, this is a program where he looks and says, there is nothing expected. And, and by that, he could say, even if I win three or four games next year and be like, oh, you're a failure, I'm, I'm turning this program around. I'm building it. But he knows if he can make it a quick turnaround, he's going to get a blue blood offer. Who knows what that might be? I think just for our sake, he did not go to a more mid-level ACC school like we were about to discuss. Yeah. Um, because Also, thankfully, Mike Norvell had a good season. <laughs> Well, but 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 let's 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 talk about that real quick. If if Florida State goes and hires him, okay. If Florida State goes and hires him, I mean, it's more of a trickle down for us than it is an immediate. Sure. Because if, if he steps in somewhere like Louisville or Georgia Tech, I mean, that's immediately he's going to be feeding off the blue bloods while stealing from similar level programs like Tech. And that's where, like, that's the one that worries you. Colorado, you feel like it's going to be more of a California, Texas. You're essentially saying F- FSU eats at a higher level the food chain than we're we're doing anyway. They do. They do. They do. <clears throat> they do. I, I won't even, if anybody wants to argue about that, let's argue about it. But that's just the way I feel. Now, the next one I want to talk about. And I and, and I think you were pretty excited when this guy got hired because you've watched his offense a few times and you know we can prepare for it. And that's Liberty hiring Jamie Chadwell out of Coastal. Chadwell, who'd been getting a lot of buzz, basically gets a five times pay bump 
yeah. to go to Liberty. He'll be eventually in Conference USA. Um, so it's it's like a it's a lateral move. It's a lateral move. The only thing you'll say he's getting paid more, and he's in a less competitive conference True. at the same level. So same prestige, less competitive, uh, and expectation wise, he doesn't have to win ten games every year anymore. True. He can win seven or eight, and they'll probably still be happy. Very true. But as far as the Hokie goes, who Hokies go who are going to be playing this team for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, both in Blacksburg and in Lynchburg, you, you mentioned to me about looking at it like you were like, the day Hugh Freeze went to Auburn, it was like, thank God no more preparing for that shit. Yeah, it's, it's like, you look at Chadwell's offense is like, we can control this. I mean, Odie, you can control it. I think we, I think we can control that if, if ODU can control it. Um, and look, and look at the strategy that OG, ODU put out there, kept that offense in check, um, was able to do more offensively than I, I think a lot of people expected against them. I think the, the, the blueprint is kind of out there on, on what Coastal is doing now. True. And what Chad, yeah. Chadwell was doing at Coastal. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, if Grayson follows him, that's fine because Grayson's McCall's got one year left, right? Yeah, that's fine. I think the bigger thing about this, and I think for us, it's more of a not a sigh of relief. Maybe it's a sigh of relief. Breathe. But what Hugh was doing was Hugh was essentially taking Division One guys, and because he was Hugh Freeze, he could recruit them to Liberty without an issue, right? Yeah, not an issue. Come here, play for me. I can develop you. I can get you moved on to bigger and better things. I don't think Chadwell's got that clout. I think Chadwell's going to have them recruiting both for high school and portal where they should be, where Hugh Freeze has been well above their pay grade for the last few seasons. Hugh Freeze made his hay in the portal. Chadwell's going to be all about, just like he was at Coastal, taking guys that are two and low three-star guys and getting more out of them because they can operate well within this system. Absolutely. By the way, there's one other thing here. Uh, I didn't know about this. <laughs> and it's not Netflix, Robbie. It's Hulu. It's a Hulu series that is talking about Liberty there. So Jamie Chadwell in a Hulu series. All right. <laughs> let's go. Are there pool boys involved? Potentially. He, he was at Myrtle Beach, man. So, I mean, yeah. All right. <laughs> The last two I want to do. He's used to that scene, though. The last two I want to hit tonight, sign of interchangeable, um, is Scott Satterfield leaves Louisville to go to Cincinnati, thus opening the door and allowing Jeff Brom in. Let's start with Satterfield first. I think Satterfield just felt the heat. I think Cincinnati, once Luke Fickle left, they knew they needed to get a proven P5 head coach as they make this transition over to the Big 12. And I think for him, it's like, well, now my ass is not on the hot seat anymore. I'm going to go. I think that's all it was. Yeah. He was off the hot seat. He was off the hot seat enough where he would get this type of offer, and he struck while the iron was hot. And, I mean, he's probably safe. Who of us wouldn't have done that? (laughs) A lot of people wouldn't, but he know he's now safe to four to five years. For them, they know that he's a quality coach. 
Is he going to blow the doors off of everybody? Probably not. But is he going to be able to settle them into the Big 12? Yeah. He's, he's got a solid floor. Yeah, they, 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 they know with that transition, he's not, they're not going to enter there and he's going to be god-awful. Um, he will keep them at least above that kind of four to five win fret threshold. He, it might miss a bowl, but it's not going to be by more than one game or so. Exactly. But when that happened, unfortunately, and I do not like this. I do not like this at all. He is not a great recruiter, but the guy can coach. Jeff Brom to Louisville should have everybody's ears perked because we saw him, you know, we saw him knock off Ohio State. We saw him hang with some of the big boys when he was at Purdue, including the Big Ten championship game where they took Michigan to the third quarter with the game. That guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to coach quarterbacks. It's not like I'm so scared of him, but you know now the next time we play Louisville, it's going to be a damn fight because of how good of a coach he is. My question is, uh, you know, uh, you tell me what you think. I'm not sure why Jeff Brom took this move. It's alma mater, man. It's alma mater. That's the only thing I can feel because – at best, there it's a parallel move, um, and if you look at the other intangible factors like media rights and things like that, it's a step down. It is, and uh, but it's I think it's going home. I think he knows he goes there. He's got more leeway, and, and, and he probably has about the same amount of leeway at Purdue. But I think it's just one of those things he played there. Probably a harder path to a championship game too at, at Louisville. So, probably. Well, I don't know. I don't know. With, without but, divisions. Well, well, no, 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 no. But the Big Ten is going in the direction of having no divisions now. Sure, but I mean, it's still a harder path. I, I guess. I, I just think it's one of those home things. I think it's one of those he wanted to probably go back home. I mean. Brom isn't a spring chicken by any means. I mean, Brom's in his early 50s. He's probably – I mean, he's been coaching – I mean, he played essentially for seven years, and he's been coaching for almost 20. He's basically been coaching since he was, you know, in his 30s. Maybe it's one of those, if I win here solidly, they're going to keep me around 10 years and I can retire. I'm interested to see if Brian Brom comes. Because his brother did coach him with him at staff. Everybody knows Brian Brom. That poor guy took the absolute biggest, worst beating I've ever seen a quarterback take when the Hokies played them in the Gator Bowl about 16 years ago. We just shit out of him. Absolute shit, yes. Like, that was at a point watching that game. Go go back in your memory. It got to a point where it's just like, I mean, I'm glad we're beating their asses. I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him because they are doing nothing to help (laughs) But there's your coaching carousel. Uh, Purdue still open, um, obviously, with the passing of Mike Leach. You know, Mississippi State will be open. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, but that pretty much – I think that went a lot faster than anyone expected. Um, it seems like guys got locked in, and whoop, the next thing you know, just about everything's filled up um, in the, uh, in the uh, game of headsets. Um, so let me go real quick, and I know we don't have them all up here, but who is, since we've pretty much rounded it out, best hire of the bunch? 
I mean, best hire. Um, it's got to be Colorado. I mean, I think trajectory wise, that's going to put them back in in the discussion in within two years. Right. Um, I'd say a close second is going to be Louisville with Jeff Brom. All right. Well, I should have said what we talked about the original set too, because I'm still think you freeze. I think freeze to Auburn is still the biggest, the best one. Because he knows uh, we, he can get talent there. We haven't talked about – did we talk about Purdue? Oh, did, did they hire somebody today? Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters. Why does that name sound familiar? D.C. for Illinois. But that name sounds really familiar. Oh, this is a new one. This is breaking. Brian uh, focusing here. Ryan Walters. A 36-year-old. Where did he play? Was he in the league or anything? No, he played at Colorado. Um, I don't know how I feel on this one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, with us playing Purdue to start that season, I'm glad um, about it. They do have a defense, so I mean, we're gonna get. A, I mean, he, he he is good on defense. I should say. I don't know if if we'll see Purdue playing that style of defense out the gate, but um, I mean, he's definitely somebody that can come in and with with the pieces they have. I think their defense are gonna maybe causes some problems, but we'll see. We'll see. But they, but they just lost an offensive guru that kept them in games. So yep. we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes there. All right, Brian, let's hit this real quick. A few things on this. Um, did you applaud the committee about eight days ago when they announced Georgia, Ohio state in the peach bowl, Michigan, TCU in the Fiesta bowl. Yeah, they got it right. <laughs> if you're if you're gonna pick four, they got it right. All right, can I ask you this? If the Rose Bowl hadn't committed to 2024, would they have done something stupid to force that play? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Political Maybe. play. You know what? Let's just let's just irritate the shit out of something. Well, I mean, I think we we said it. We said you know whether they put Alabama in or out, it was going to cause a ruckus. Um, and I think it would cause more of a ruckus if they put them in and then leaving them out. Absolutely. Um, mainly, and, and when you look at the resumes, it just didn't make sense to put Alabama in there. Like, no. I test be damned, you still have to play the games, you still have to win the games. Being well, a, Having good losses doesn't matter if you didn't win anything. Well, my, my best piece was watching Saban on, um, on, on that Saturday night. I didn't get to see it all. I saw clips. We'd be favored in Vegas. You're also favored against LSU and Tennessee, and you did win those games. So yeah, you still have to what? win the games that are in front of you. I mean, Doesn't we don't we don't just play this game on paper. Touché. If we played the game on paper, you'd be the national champion every year or every other year. Touche. Touche. Because maybe Georgia and maybe Ohio State sneak in there year to year because they might have a little bit of better class or the, the combination of classes might be a, a hair better than Alabama's a given year. But most years, give or take, it's going to be Alabama right there, right? So um, that's why we play the games. That's why we if, play the games. If, if you – I said it in a tweet. If you want to be in and you don't want to have to have this conversation – then win enough games where you're not sitting at home during your conference championship, especially with two losses. And they wouldn't have been there either way this year. 
regardless if they were divisions or not in the SEC, which I think the SEC is getting rid of them soon too. All right, uh, New Year's Eve. I'm sure you're going to be making a big spread, getting a good bottle. Which game are you looking more forward to? You know what? I think Michigan TCU is going to be more interesting to me. Okay. Because I think TCU can score. Michigan can stop. We'll we'll see what, what what where the where the rubber meets the road there. Uh, I think the difference is going to be Michigan's um, rushing attack. I think it's yeah. just going to be too much. And that 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 offensive line is a bunch of monsters, including you know they got the Remington. I saw oh that guy won Remington and Nagurski, right? I think so. I know he won the Remington the center. I mean, I'm more interested to see this. I'm more interested to see if Ohio State can actually hit their potential. Because I don't think they've hit their potential all year on either side of the ball. And now they've been get, they've been reprieved. This is 2014 again. They've been reprieved. They're playing a Southern team in their backyard that has a very good defense, but a game manager at quarterback. We all remember how that game went in 2014 when – Alabama lay left crushed in the Sugar Bowl. So we'll see. I'm, I'm actually I'm just looking forward to both of them, and you know, eating good food, having a good drink. All right. So we just kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago with the Rose Bowl, who have amended their contract, and it's finally happening. 2024, we will have 12 teams playoff and. Looking at it, too, I think it's also going to be just eyeballing where the championship game is. It is going to be a a return of importance to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I think it's going to go back to like when we were kids where if there were games those days, it was implicating national championship type stuff. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that you're going to see New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Um those games not just matter now again, but they matter in terms of the big picture. The big picture. That's going to be quarterfinal games. Yep. Honest to God, believe that. And it's a return to glory to me for those days. Because I remember as a kid, you kind of would, there would always be that New Year's Eve night game that was of some importance. Of some importance. Yep. And then New Year's Day, you always had the Rose, the Sugar, the Fiesta all over the place. But, the reason I say that, and people are like, why are you saying this? We, we haven't heard the schedule yet. But one thing we know already, and, and as soon as they dropped this, I called Brian, and me and him talked about 30 minutes on it. The championship game is on the 20th. That is effectively two weeks later. Later than it yep. has been being, roughly. If that's the case, well, when are they going to be the home dates? The home dates would likely fall like on this weekend. It would be the first weekend of bowl season. Like every year. We'll talk about it in a few minutes here. We're going to pick some of the games real quick. 16th and 17th are your first big bowl games. My bet in two years, that weekend, which is the 20 and 21st, that's going to be your home playing games. Because then, okay, you're going to give everybody – you're not going to change the conference championship week, right? 
But everybody's right. going to know and roughly have two weeks to prepare, whether whether it's fans buying tickets, teams making travel arrangements, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get the Army-Navy game, then it's this, right? It's this perfect sequence. And then obviously New Year's Day, quarterfinal games. And then what What did I show you, Brian, about when I think the semis would be? And you started looking, Doug, and you were like, crap. That that actually makes freaking sense. Yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at what we said, kind of that, what was it, like eight or nine to, to 14 day window between kind of each round, depending on where mm-hmm. New Year's was falling. Yeah. But when we looked at it, the last weekend of the NFL season, in which everybody knows, last weekend of the NFL season, Brian, are there Thursday night games? No. Are there Saturday night games? No. Are there Monday night games? No. It's one day. Everything on Sunday. Everything's on Sunday. And if you look at the way it's going, I think they're going to be targeting that Saturday every year because there's no competition with the NFL, but for casual football fans who are getting prepared for the last weekend, wait a second, it's two of the biggest college football games right here probably at 4.30 and 8 o'clock on a Saturday night in the middle of January with nothing else to do. Yep. And then roughly after that happens, you roughly have about, what, a nine-day window until the national championship game. Exactly. So they're they're avoiding the NFL. Yep, so we're looking at, I think what we said, uh, seven, eight, eight to 12 between each round in there, like like we said, depending on where that, that New Year's Day falls. Um and that, and that's going to be big because um, it's going to give give them an opportunity, like you said, to have full reign of a Saturday again. No competition from the NFL. Um, you got your own day there. It's on a weekend. You can have like a a three or a five, and then have your eight or eight thirty. Yeah, but it's all yours, and it can be a build up. There can be a huge game day at both locations. You know, these are going to be bowl games. Um, and, and that does sort of stink a little bit because, um, you know, but that is what it is. But again, I think just looking at 10,000 feet, it's like this perfect here, 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 here. And it's four games in a month, but with enough break time in between for each for the players to essentially get the appropriate amount of rest. You're not going on a five-day short week. Everything's going to be thought out. And maybe in the future they move the game back to like a Thursday, which would make sense because I hate Monday night games. It kills you unless it's your team playing. All right, Brian, let's make some bowl picks because Friday afternoon they start. <laughs> We're glad they do. We're glad for punishment. Uh, let's hit up here the Bahamas Bowl. Um, I don't know how this bowl doesn't get more fanfare because it's the Bahamas in December. It's like 80. It's breezy. It's nice. It's Miami of Ohio versus UAB. Um, I'll lead this one. I have no clue, but I'm Trent Dilfer, <laughs> Trent Dilfer manages games, and that team that, that team is going to manage a win to impress their new head coach. Yeah, I'm gonna go UAB as well. Um, I I think they get it done. It, it feels right. It just feels right. Now the next one is actually a little bit more interesting, and to me, 
um, of that first weekend, it might be the most interesting bowl game. It's the Cure Bowl on Friday night with the 25th-ranked UTSA Roadrunners versus number 24, Troy. CT, UTSA wins the conference USA championship. Troy wins the Sun Belt. Um, what, what do you think on this one, Brian? Because you feel like these are two very well-coached football teams, both with, I think, double-digit wins already. I feel like it's going to be a good game just because of, you know, you know, the, 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 this, the level of competition for both. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a good game, but give me T-Roy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Troy here. Uh, they finished the season as good as any team at the G5 level. Okay. And as, as good as, as, as a lot of teams could in the country altogether. All but um, the way they finished the season, I think they're going to they're, they're close it out and take care of business. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go against you here. Um, Jeff Trailer down at UTSA, the guy who legitimately had coached high school football for like 20 plus years, and then just UTSA. Hey, do you want this college job? He takes it. He's been successful there the whole time. His only two losses this year are Houston and Texas, and the Texas game was legitimately a game until the late third quarter. Um, beat some really good teams um, in Conference USA, dominated most of them, um, dominated their conference championship game. So I think UTSA takes it, um, just to be contrarian, just so, you know, <laughs> we're watching it Saturday, Friday night. We You're can, wrong. You're wrong. All right, <laughs> so on Saturday, a slate full of games, six bowls. Everybody says, why do they keep bowl games on? They suck. But you know what people are going to do Saturday? They're going. To, it's it's cold outside. If they have shopping to do, they're going to get it done in the morning. Then they're going to come back and they're going to crack a beer open or pour a, pour a little glass of little, little mixer there, and they're going to sit their ass on a couch and they're going to watch bowl games all stinking day. And it starts with the Fenway Bowl. Louisville versus Cincinnati. Can we please have both the coaches on the sidelines for this one just for pure hell? It's also a revisiting for the Battle of the Keg of Nails, an old rivalry trophy. Um, yeah, so you get you get an old rivalry trophy. You get the, the coach swap, and you get a layout where typically the teams are on the same sideline. Exactly. It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> and it's an 11 o'clock kick, I think. Let me check. I think that's an, I think Fenway's always an 11 o'clock kick. Yes. And it's breakfast if you want. If you want to eat breakfast, <laughs> you have yourself a Bloody Mary. Brunch time. Brunch. Get you a mimosa. Get you a Bloody Mary. Get you a Benny. Get you something good. Right. <laughs> so who do you got? I, I, I got to lead this one, right? Um, I'm going to say this. I think Louisville is going to take this game. I think the addition of Brom definitely gets them a little bit more of a boost. I think losing Fickle is a lot for Cincinnati. Um, I think it's an enter- I think this is going to be an entertaining game. Just knowing both styles. I think Malik Cunningham, I think he's playing. I've not seen. He has not opted out, has he? I haven't seen that he has, so I'm assuming yeah. he is until I yeah. hear otherwise. Let me just make sure here. He's day-to-day. He got banged up a couple weeks ago, so I don't see anything. I'll take Louisville in an entertaining game at Fenway Park. 
I'm going to take Cincy here just to be contrarian. I, th- I think this is going to be a, an interesting game regardless. Uh, both teams have similar level talent. You, pr- you could argue Louisville probably has the best playmaker. Cincy probably has the better top-to-bottom roster in terms of what they've been able to do. So right. I'll take Cincy by hair there. Just to have something to text about that morning, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go. Well, to we're the, enjoying our Bloody Marys. We're enjoying our Bloody Marys. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to this one. I don't know how this bowl doesn't get more recognition. It's in freaking Vegas. But the Las Vegas Bowl, Florida versus Oregon State. Um, Oregon State 14th, obviously pulling the huge upset over Oregon. Um, in the Civil War at the on Thanksgiving weekend. Who you got in this one, Brian? I'm taking Oregon State. I, I like oh. the way they close the season. I don't like what Florida looked like down the stretch. I think this is Oregon State's. All right. Oregon State. I'm with you there. If for nothing else, with Anthony Richardson um, declaring for the draft, which to me he should not be declaring for the draft. I don't get that. Right. <laughs> I do not get that whatsoever. You're at um, least a year too early, son. Way too early. <laughs> there was not enough. There was not enough development this year in his game to go. And I also mean, with NIL, there's there's less reason to jump unless you're fully ready. Like I just, you know, a, a quarterback like him at Florida could rake in two fifty, three hundred. E- yeah, easy, maybe even higher. You know, Lower in three six figures, right? Yeah. Um, if that's not enough to, to to float the boats that need to be floated until your game is where it needs to be to take the next step, don't go, man. <laughs> this is, this isn't two years ago when when you know you make this type of decision. You're you're looking at your long term versus your short term. With nil, it's 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 a different kettle of fish. Um, who plays quarterback for Florida? Um, I don't know, and I haven't researched it that far. But it's not Anthony Richardson, so and that is right, isn't it, Anthony Richardson? I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, you're right. Okay, it's one of those days. All right, um, let's go next out to the LA Bowl in Wazoo versus Fresno State. Um, I'm taking this one real easy. Fresno State on a roll, beating Boise for the Mountain West title. I think they continue to do it in their backyard. Give me uh, Fresno uh, to keep it rolling and knock off Wazoo. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Fresno State, in this one. Um, probably not even – whatever the spread is, I'm, I'm taking I'm taking Fresno huh? in the points. Uh, Fresno's only laying three, so you, you got to be favored on it. All right. Definitely give me Fresno. All right, the next one is the ugliest one of the day. It's the Lending Tree Bowl. Five and seven Rice versus six and six Southern Miss. <laughs> it, they happen. Yes, we know. They, the six and six teams happen all the time. Rice shouldn't be here. Southern Miss. Yeah, give me give me Southern Miss. Give, give me the, the, the Favre scandal. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> How many times will the Favre scandal be discussed on this telecast? <laughs> Which is going to be on ESPN. I'd go five. They're at least going to lead with it. They're going to lead coming out of halftime. They're going to have some sort of expose somewhere during a good, 
a timeout where they don't go to break. It'll be something. Absolutely. All right, couple more here for Saturday, and we're going to hit next week's games up until when we are live next week. Uh, New Mexico Bowl, SMU versus BYU. Uh, who are you taking in this one, Brian? Man, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to roll S- F- uh, SMU here, though. Yeah, I- I'm with you on that. SMU closed the season strong, um, winning three of their last four. The only loss was to AAC winner Tulane. Um, and-, and BYU's just been kind of up and down, like, all year. They've played good some games. They've played bad some games. Um so I'll go with a team that's been a little bit more consistent. I'm with you with SMU. All right, late Saturday night, Fresco Bowl in Fresco, Frisco, Texas. The runners up of the Conference USA and Mountain West, Boise versus North Texas. Uh, I'm gonna take Boise. Um, North Texas, kind of luckily to get into the CUSA championship game. Um, you know, you kind of look at what they did. Probably their best win all year was. Probably – yeah, that's the thing. Their best win all year, maybe La Tech, maybe Western Kentucky. Yeah, Not saying a lot, so give me Boise. Yeah, I'm riding the mean green here. All right. North Texas for <clears throat> Brian. The Myrtle Beach Bowl, Brian. Marshall versus UConn. Uh, UConn – Give uh, give your old Colts head coach son some credit. Went up there and coached them boys to a six and six record versus one of our uh, lead favorites last year for the Hokies job. While we were sitting here a little over a year ago discussing that, and Charles Huff, who you know big wins this year against Notre Dame, big wins against App State. Um, but what are you thinking on this one? I think UConn has the better story. I think Marshall has the better team. Marshall takes it. I'll go with Marshall, too. I think Marshall will also have likely a home field advantage down in Myrtle Beach. All righty. That's a 2.30 kick on uh, Monday afternoon. Can they push those back? Can they all be 5 o'clock kicks? It's a little bit. It's like Tuesday. You got two games on Tuesday. You got Eastern Michigan versus San Jose. It's a three thirty kick at the pins at the uh, Potato Bowl. Um, I don't know much about either of these teams. I'll just go Eastern Michigan. Um, I'm gonna go Eastern Michigan too. All right, the Potato Bowl is. I'll, that. I'll ride it. Alrighty, so then we got the Boca Raton Bowl. The question is, will this bowl end up in a fistfight as it did a few years ago when Memphis and BYU played it, which was always interesting. This year it's even more interesting that it's Liberty versus Toledo. (laughs) It's Liberty versus Toledo. Who are you taking in this game? Um, Boca Raton. Give me – I'm going to take the Flames. You're going to take the flames. The Hugh Freezeless frames, I think, go down in flames. I they think Toledo, Toledo, they won the MAC. Probably should be in a slightly better bowl, but that is what it is. Toledo, to me, had a really good year. We picked against them a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, I think Toledo takes this one. All right, there is only, I believe, we got one more. 
Let me pull that up here. On the 21st, so a week from tonight, and a week New from Orleans. tonight, the New Orleans Bowl, but a week from tonight, we will be sitting here with Taliban's, with Jeremy. Y'all, if y'all have not watched this episode, watch it live. It's super entertaining. Um, because we got, we, we got Jonathan Talley, Spaces expert, uh, Bama's biggest hokey fan. Um, we got everybody knows Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts. Uh, we, we've uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've done this, we've had Jeremy on the last two years, we had Tally on with Jeremy last year. I feel like this is going to be our annual state of the program. Uh, yearly episode where we bring these two on, absolutely, um, and, and just we, we're going to cut up. We're going we're going to talk, a, you know, kind of close out early signing day, and then we're gonna we're we're going we're going to cut up and and talk the program and hit every corner of what happened this season, what's happened with the class, uh, what we need to do between now and when spring practice starts up. Um, kind of touch on a little bit of everything as we kind of roll into the new year absolutely so next wednesday wednesday not tuesday um i was gonna ask brian if he could do it thursday but you know i gotta gotta accommodate well see thursday i will be in south boston and if you remember last year the internet connectivity issues i was having uh yeah so (laughs) i'd prefer to be able to do it while I'm still here because it, we're going I'm to not relying upon South Boston internet connections <laughs> at all. I'm just more upset. I told you I'm about to take it easy because I got to work the next day. I can't do what I did what I did two years ago when I was off. <laughs> that was all, fun. all three of us were hammered. That one. Oh um, man, now that full was, hammered. Woo. Yeah, full hammered. All and right. all of all of us were feeling good, and Jeremy was feeling real good last year. So yes, he was. Um, Jeremy's I promised think, he's going to pace this year. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> he, Brian just, says, I'm just going to tell it. Just eat a full meal, man. Just eat a full meal. All right. One more game to pick. It'll probably be back here on the television screen as we are talking to Jeremy and Tally next week. And that's Western Kentucky versus South Alabama in the New Orleans Bowl. Um, South Alabama 10 and 2, Western Kentucky 8 and 4. So, two pretty good G5 teams going at it here. Uh, what do you think on this one, Brian? Even though we won't be really well, you'll be watching it, it'll probably be right there for you. But it'll, yeah. it'll be above me while I'm throwing back some shots and uh, crushing some beers while we talk state of the program. But I'm going to take Western Kentucky here. All right, good deal. I'm going to go opposite of you for the last pick. I'm going to go South Alabama. Um, South Alabama 10-2. and two, Their only losses this year were to Troy by four. And they lost, if you remember, the UCLA game early in the year where UCLA pulled a freaking miracle and scored a touchdown with, like, I think it was, like, two, or a field goal with two seconds left. Like, literal miracle. So, give me South Alabama. All, All right. right. Other than the Ryan Walters news, which – Came out of nowhere because I guess I hadn't looked at my phone close enough in the last few hours here. What else you got, Brian? That's all we got, man. All right. You ready to close whenever you are? Well, let's close this thing out and wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. 
brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, <clears throat> BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Amazon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long, he plays us in, he plays us out. Uh, right now, no live events for Jason. It's cold. Uh, it's cold, <laughs> but they have breweries down in Roanoke, so I it's definitely, true. I definitely foresee the, the, the farmers market is out of play, though. <laughs> farmers market is definitely out of play because thirty-eight degrees ain't fun to play guitar in. I tell you that much. No, right it is there. not. <laughs> I check him out. His website, JasonLongMusic.com, where it will link to all of his music on Apple and Spotify and his YouTube and his Facebook pages. We thank you always for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.